Welcome to Trinity on Tap, the New Testament, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. John Frederick. Welcome back, everyone. This is 3.1. The afflicted church is the authentic church. We're now in section three of this Trinity on Tap New Testament series. And you might have noticed that the section is titled, You Shouldn't Go to Church. New Testament reflections on what it means to be the church. So in this group of podcasts, what we're going to do is learn what the New Testament calls us to as the church. And as we do that, as has been our custom, we're going to find our bearings in 1 Thessalonians. And then we're going to use that as a jumping off point to continue to let Scripture interpret Scripture as we think about the importance of the church for New Testament theology. So let's hear the word of the Lord from 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we already suffered and we had been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests hearts. You know, there are many things of interest that we could focus on here in this passage. But I really want to focus on Paul's ministry, the nature of Paul's ministry. For Paul, being a Christian and being a minister meant suffering. It meant being shamefully mistreated. It meant facing great opposition. And I once preached a sermon on this theme and from this text to a congregation of mostly older men and women, lovely people. And the response of one of the older men at the end of the service summed up how you might be feeling. He said, I've heard a lot of sermons, but I've never met someone so passionate about suffering. And he didn't mean it as a compliment. So what's going on here? This is admittedly a somewhat strange PR choice for the early church. Sign up for Jesus and your life will be a living hell. Abundant suffering guaranteed or your money back. But... Though it seems paradoxical, Jesus himself teaches that by giving up our lives, we gain our lives, and that being the church involves suffering. Now, unlike many contemporary prosperity preachers, Paul does not see suffering as proof of the gospel's failure to deliver. Rather, Paul views suffering as the seal of the gospel's authenticity. For Paul, the afflicted church is the authentic church because the suffering church is the one that takes upon itself the cross-shaped nature of the crucified God and the way it lives and in the way it worships God. For Christians, suffering isn't futile. It's formative. It isn't a waste. It's a way, a way to become more like the God whose very nature is suffering love. And through that love to see meaning in our afflictions, solidarity with our Savior, 
and transformation in our world through a long obedience in the same direction. As we've touched upon in prior podcasts, the cruciform way of God is not something that's designated only for some spiritual elite class or for clergy. It is a way of being for everyone, for the entire people of God, for the entire body of Christ, the church. Paul says it most clearly in Romans 5, 2 through 5. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, for Paul, suffering produces character. It produces hope. As we encounter suffering in the midst of our life together as the church, this forms us into the image of the suffering God, Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 2, 19 to 21, the apostle Peter affirms this same phenomenon. And this is what he says. For this is a gracious thing when... Mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Likewise, a bit later in 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, Peter encourages Christians. He tells them that even if they should suffer for righteousness' sake, they will be blessed, and that suffering while doing good is an honorable thing. In verse 18, Peter bases this teaching on Christ's own suffering, arguing that Christian suffering is grounded in Christ, who, quote, suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. In chapter 4, verse 1 of Peter's first epistle, Peter equates Christian suffering with the struggle for holiness and the battle to flee from sin. He writes, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And this reminds me of what Paul said in Philippians 2, verses 5 and following, where he exhorts the church to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, before going on to explain this other-centered, cruciform manner of Christ's death-defeating love. Paul and Peter and Jesus himself teach that suffering is not futile. It is formative. It is not a waste. It is a way. It's a way to becoming, as Paul says in Romans 8.29, conformed to the image of God's own Son. And this is good news. Because while none of us should actively seek suffering, we all know that suffering is inevitable. 
In the New Testament, the church is depicted as a community of integrated co-communicants who, as it says in Galatians, bear one another's burdens. Paul even calls this practice of suffering love, this burden-bearing, the fulfillment of the law of Christ. This is probably a link in Paul's writings to the very teachings of Jesus, such as we find in the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And Jesus, teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, 36 through 40, when Jesus is asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Peter, like Paul, draws out this formative component to the inevitable reality of afflictions. Hear what he says in 1 Peter 5, 6-11. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he might exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him. How powerful is that for you? Because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That's a powerful verse, especially, as I said before, because we all suffer. If it's not now, it will be in the future. You see, the afflicted church is the authentic church. Because the authentic church is the one that looks like Jesus. While this is the definite teaching of the apostles and of Jesus Christ himself, it is not the message that we hear from many preachers these days, especially the ones on TV, most of whom are often hucksters of the health and wealth gospel. In that erroneous preaching, if you suffer, it's because you didn't have enough faith. And if you are poor, it's because, well, you haven't given enough to God so that he can make you rich. Just remember, when you encounter this sort of teaching, Paul did not say, Behold, my fleet of jet planes and my holiday homes and my impeccable health. Paul said, Behold my suffering. A suffering which leads to hope. A suffering which leads to glory. The measure of a successful ministry is not money. It's not health. It's faithfulness and formative suffering. 
the truly successful person is the one who crucifies the idol of success and takes up the cross on the path of Christ. I want to leave you with a passage from a book that we've not yet heard from in this series, the book of Hebrews. Again, I invite you to listen, to hear the word of God, to expect the Spirit to work illumination in your hearts through these Spirit-inspired words. So hear the word of the Lord. This is Hebrews 2, 9 through 18. It's a long passage, but it's good because God wrote it because the Holy Spirit inspired it. So hear it. It's good for you. You'll love it. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those whose lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely, it is not angels that he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you for joining us this time, and I hope that this week you would read straight through the book of Hebrews. It's a difficult book, so I'd recommend reading it with a study Bible. Read those study notes at the bottom, and you can see really clearly in that letter how Jesus Christ fulfills everything that God promised in the Old Testament. And as we've seen before, that in the old, the new is concealed, and in the new, the old is revealed. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.